boost your mood in New Jersey. Surprise yourself with new wonders. Stroll beaches and boardwalks. Discover places to dine and catch up with friends. See inspiring art, culture, and history, too. Savor sea breezes and explore all the treasures nature has waiting for you. Rise to the call of adventure or catch a wave into the ocean blue. Find it all at visitnj.org. Why should you visit Kings Island? Do it because less time planning means more time for this. Do it to take a one-day family vacation. Do it to catch a serious case of the giggles together. And of course, do it to eat a funnel cake the size of your face. Because here at Kings Island, doing something just for the fun of it is all the reason you need. Right now, everyone pays kids' price. Kings Island tickets just $45 online. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All Hit Radio. Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Now, if you'd like to send us an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And to find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast <coughs> Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And for the Exxon TV channel... On Simul TV, by the way, it's channel 21, www.simultv.com. Exonation, my guest this hour is author and adventurist Ron Moorhead. He's the producer of the Sierra Sounds, has been known for decades for his worldwide research into the Bigfoot Sasquatch phenomenon. To date, he comes closer than any other researcher to having a complete body of evidence. The Sierra Sounds are the only Bigfoot recordings that have been scientifically studied, time-tested, and accredited as genuine. Ron has documented, he documented his personal instructions with these giant beings and produced his story on a CD and also in a book entitled Voices in the Wilderness. Joining me now is Ron Moorhead. And Ron, welcome back to the Exxon. Great talking to you again. Well, thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Ron, uh, for the listeners who may be hearing you for the first time on our show, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and how you got into being a Bigfoot Sasquatch researcher? 
Yeah, sure. I, I got into it, uh, actually wasn't looking for Bigfoot at all. It was a mm-hmm. hunting camp in uh, 1971. And uh, I went in there. Uh, there was a, six of us all together. And right. these beings started coming around the camp in the evening time, mouthing off and chattering. And, and they would take food we left out for them. So that started in 1971. Mm-hmm. In 1972, we uh, we got an investigative reporter to come in to uh, kind of uh, write down what's going on. And, and we did that through Ivan Sanderson uh, years ago. And and uh, he related it to Peter Byrne. The, the re- reporter that mm-hmm. Peter Byrne asked to come in was Alan Barry. And uh, he started uh, recording the, the creatures like we were because they kept coming in each time we'd go into the camp. And it's a remote camp, eight miles into the wilderness, very inaccessible. Uh, we have to take our supplies in on mules. And you could either had to, had to walk or, or ride a horse, one or the other. Uh, you can't get in any other way. So anyway, that's how it began for me, and uh, Alan Berry, i got to credit him, we all do, for uh, fostering the study at the University of Wyoming on the sounds that he recorded, and we was all recording, but he got some very clear ones, and uh, had a professor, Curlin, do a year-long study on them, mm-hmm. showing that they were not manipulated, speeded up, slowed down, or or uh, no foul play in any way, so he, he got that, which was a big deal. Sure. And, but it wasn't until 2008 till a cryptolinguist uh, heard them, and he mm-hmm. thought he heard some language in there. So, and of course, we knew they were chattering amongst themselves, and similar to Albert Osman's account in uh, 1924, like he said, they were chattering amongst themselves. And uh, so he uh, took them and studied them, listened to them, came all the way out from Missouri to interview us. It was that big a deal to him because he says if this is a language, and he said it, it's. It is a language, by the way, he found out uh, mm-hmm. after he studied them. And he transcribed this language. And when I say language, I mean the human definition of language. It means they have to have the same type of vocal apparatus that humans do, at least one that will do what we do. And uh, they also have to have a morphine stream in their words, which is uh, like a group of words that make a cognizant sentence. And that's what we have. And only humans are supposed to have that. So all of a sudden you got some other bipedal hominid out there that's this got the same attributes we do as far as language goes. Now, they got a lot more than that, though. Uh, after studying them for the 47 years now, uh, I've come to some interesting, uh, I've put some interesting dots in my little puzzle trying to figure these things out. Well, let me, uh, ask, let me ask you, Ron, prior to your encounter, did you believe in Bigfoot? Well, I didn't disbelieve, but mm-hmm. I, I guess I was neutral. We weren't looking for, for anything like this at all. Uh, I remember the Patterson film, uh, 1967, just right. a few years before we encountered them. And, uh, you know, that's all I knew was that, that somebody had said they'd film one up there, and I think I'd seen that film. But other than that, I wasn't really uh, an enthusiast of any kind. But when I when I uh, ran into it myself up there, it kind of changes your mind. <laughs> you realize there's something very, very big mm-hmm. and very, very sapient. They are sapient, by the way. They're... they're they're not just some dumb animal running around in the woods like so many people think they probably are. They want to dig a hole and trap them or go out and shoot them. They're, they're more than that. And I think I have came to some uh, realizations that perhaps they could be, uh, uh, well, possibly from alien intervention into the into a genome of some type of a primate and uh, changing, altering the DNA to give them the sapience that they have. Of course, that makes them a hybrid, but then I think mm-hmm. we're all hybrids. 
So how come how come there there you know nobody has actually caught or has acquired physical evidence of the Bigfoot? <laughs> are, are they that more intelligent that they know how to avoid being caught? Absolutely, yes, they are. I mean, we tried so many tricks up there, and this before we before I realized mm-hmm. just how significant this thing was. Uh, trying to trick them, trying to get a picture. All we could capture was their vocalizations, and that's what brought me here today with you is, is these vocalizations because right. it's kind of gotten known worldwide now as being very credible, and they are credible. Uh, more recently, we had a, uh, a gentleman named Thinker Thunker. Uh, maybe you heard of him. I don't know. He's got a website. He did a little analysis on our Sierra Sounds, and he says that they have uh, five octaves in one tone, which is humanly impossible. Mm-hmm. And no animal known on Earth can do that, and no human can do that. So I, I'm trying to get that corroborated now by a bioacoustical engineer with a Ph.D. behind his name. It seems like you have to have those sort of things right. before, before anybody's going to buy it, you know. And, and so I'm just trying to do my homework and get that uh, there, because if that comes out, that should be the smoking gun on these things. So you would think that the credibility behind the sounds that we captured up there and, and the different men that was involved, and they all... We all have the same, well, we all were there. So mm-hmm. uh, we just, anyway, it goes on and on from there. It just It's kind of fun, but it's also very exciting at the same time. Now, did you yourself get to, to see a Bigfoot? And if you did, what did it look like? Well, I did in 1974. This mm-hmm. is uh, three years after we first encountered him in 71. I just got a glimpse of it, Rob, so I can't really tell you the details of its face, but I can tell you it was moving extremely fast through the trees. I recorded this on my uh, cassette recorder. That's what we had in those days. And uh, while they were making their vocalizations, I, there was three of them, we believe, uh, one behind me, and it's, that's where the, the samurai cry comes from that they've coined as the samurai cry. It's a big yell behind me, and he was yelling at the two, which I think was an adolescent and female down below. Mm-hmm. And I seen him streaking through the trees, and I mean, he was going so fast, uh, inhumanly. And uh, he, you know, we're talking about logs and everything else in his way, but he just floated through there like like an inhuman. It was really incredible. And uh, so that was my glimpse. When I say glimpse, the other gentleman that was with me, he's my packing buddy. We were, came in on horses, mules, brought some supplies in, and right. and he also got some glimpses that night. So it was an interesting night because up till then they had never really interacted with us until we were inside the shelter which kind of like a big beaver's nest with deadfall around mm-hmm. some trees and and it wasn't until uh, this night in 74 till they really started uh, showing themselves uh, more boldly than ever before and uh, making these sounds wood knocking limbs cracking whooping and uh, I uh, it was just an incredible evening that night and they came back the next night but the other guys that came in and uh that, that kind of blew it because one of the guys just got frustrated because we've been trying to capture something on these things for so long. He got up with his rifle and his flashlight and just, I'm going to find out what these things are all about once and for all. And he goes marching out there with his rifle and shining his flashlight everywhere. And that was it for the rest of that, uh, rest of that weekend. All right. So when were these uh, sounds recorded? Going back to 74? Going back to 71. Going back to 71. Wow. Yeah, 71, 72, Mm -hmm. uh, all the way through 76, actually. And that was the last time we had the close-in sounds. 
But there's some more enigmas up there that's besides the sounds that uh, you, you might want to get into on this program. I don't know, but sure. Uh, we were there two years ago, uh, my wife and I, and mm-hmm. we we saw this elongated light. <laughs> not not that that's unusual. We see strange things up there all the time. We've heard strange things we can't account for, but right. this light was about three foot long, and it was a just a glowing light uh, come waltzing through the trees. Uh, probably 40, 50 feet above our little tent we had mm-hmm. set up. And uh, the shelter had been taken down in 2015. All right, Ron, we're going to have to have a bit of a cliffhanger here. I have to take my first break. Sure. Ron Moorhead is my special guest of this hour, Exxon Nation. He uh, has a CD and a book entitled Voices in the Wilderness. His website, www.ronmoorhead.com. And Ron and I will be back on the other side of this break. As we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Exonation Ron Moorhead is our special guest. His website is ronmoorhead.com. Now, Ron, going back to 1971, um, had you and your, your party gone to this area looking for Bigfoot, or was this just a chance encounter? It was a chance encounter. Um, the Johnson brothers had been going up there since 1958, actually. Mm-hmm. So they were my seniors, and like I'm not sure. I know one of them passed away. I'm not sure if the other one's still alive or not. But um, they were original originals in that camp since the 1950s. So we, we're not sure, but we think maybe these beings had been observing them for quite some time. It wasn't until 71 until they let their presence be known uh, by uh, coming into the, the camp itself and uh, taking some food that was left on the, the old stove that we had packed in. So... That's okay. how it kind of began, and it didn't frighten them off. They didn't shoot at them. They mm-hmm. have guns. We all had guns. We always had guns. So these people that say they just don't have guns, well, or you won't encounter them, well, that wasn't the case with us. Now, um, going back to, to 71, you know, was it was it something that you and your team – your friends automatically were, you know, said to each other, my God, this is Bigfoot. Look what we've discovered. Well, when you see their track, which they mm-hmm. did when they heard their, their vocalizations out there by the stove, they later when it all stopped, they went out there with their flashlights and seen the, uh, the big track. And this was early in 71. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there was, uh, they seen this big, huge five toed track and they realized, uh, even by the sounds that it wasn't a bear. They're avid hunters. These guys are, oh gosh, I could strike a match at 100 yards, I think. Wow. <laughs> Good hunters. Um, they knew the wilderness. They know the area. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, no, they, they knew it was something with a Bigfoot. And uh, I guess that's what they call them, Bigfoot. Uh, it wasn't until 72 when Alberia was invited in. He, he got word that we had this and wanted to investigated but he went in looking for a hoax actually he went in this is pretty incredible story that 
that uh, Warren Johnson sent to Ivan Sanderson in a 23-page handwritten letter explaining what was going on, but he didn't buy it. Ivan Sanderson didn't. He sent it to Peter Byrne, who in turn got a little Barry, who came down and interviewed us, and we ended up inviting him in. And uh, he, uh, he told me, always stay with science, but there's things that science, classical science anyway, couldn't answer up there. Uh, the lights, the, the sounds that we'd hear, there's no source that we could find as far mm-hmm. as the uh, big tuning fork sound that you hear in the daytime right above your head and you look up and there's, you just don't see it. It's like a, a two-ton hummingbird or something wow. like that. <laughs> and there's times where I tell people this, and it's in my book, Voices in Wilderness, that uh, you think this sound is something out there is tearing up our camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, the barrels are being, that we've hauled in on mules and kept our supplies in, secure it from the bears and all, and you think that's being tore apart and just everything being thrown all over the mountainside, and you go out there and look later on, and nothing's changed. Now, that's pretty unusual, and uh, there's other things that's happened up there, too, that I write about in my book. Sure. But, you know, uh, staying with science, I thought, well, because Al Berry said, well, don't talk about this strange stuff that goes on up here. You'll lose credibility, and you won't be mm-hmm. able to tell anybody about this later on in life, and so uh, for a long time, we didn't talk about it, but uh, I started talking about it. In fact, last year, uh, I wrote another book called The Quantum Bigfoot, and it gets into the science that's possibly behind how these beings do what they do. I've had so many reports over the year, interviewing people for 40-some-odd years, and right. they, they talk about how they saw them disappear, they've, they've had this happen, that happen, and mm-hmm. things that just doesn't make any sense at all in our classical paradigm that we've got. We're all raised to think that everything is material or physical, and in quantum physics, that's just not the case. Uh, it has uh, classical science, uh, 1687 by Isaac Newton, is what mm-hmm. we've all been taught is what we have to live by, our right. five senses, and that's all we got. But uh, there's more, and uh, that more gets right into how this stuff can happen, and that's what I write about in my recent book, The Quantum Bigfoot. I sell a lot of those, too, and it's really... All right, let, let's talk about the quantum aspect of it. Quantum physics is, is basically mostly theory. So how can we apply a theory and push away established science? Well, first of all, it's a, it's a theory that's uh, it's not considered a theory as you would think of a theory because mm-hmm. it's, it's established by mathematics. This is what Einstein worked with. This is what Tesla worked with, yeah. Bohr. All these guys worked with a quantum science, mm-hmm. and it's only a little over 100 years old. Um, so you can never, you can reproduce it mathematically, but you'll never see it because it's, it's how the universe works. It's everything. I mean, is there time travel? But Stephen, Stephen Hawkins says there's time travel. You know, you can do that. It's well, it's yeah, a to, to everything's say, a vibrational frequency. I, I understand that. Way. I understand that. But to say you can do something and actually do it many times are two different things, Ron. Well, you can't physically do it, but you can mathematically do it. But mathematically, yeah. you can do things that will not produce something that is physical, like well, a Bigfoot. Well, you've got uh, microwave ovens, you've got all those things are in the quantum, kind of the quantum realm. Yes, but we, we, we well, sure we do. We, we understand how the mechanics uh, of microwaves work. We understand that it was in, surely by accident that microwave oven, the microwave and the microwave oven were discovered. We understand this. But when it comes to the actual manifestation and and um, evidential path that some people are looking for using quantum physics. How do we how do we how do we tie that into reality? Well, quantum physics uh, 
Well, according to them, that is reality. What we see is not reality. It's just well. Do you buy that? Do you buy that? <laughs> this is hard to get your head around. It's well, hard for anybody to get their head well, around. Well, the hard the hard part to get around is that if we're not living in a physical world, if our world is nothing else but a basic holograph, then life doesn't matter. Death doesn't matter. And the people who are telling us that this is a a non-realistic or non-reality um, dimension that we're in, they don't exist. So where do we draw well, the line? Well, I think you just have to open your mind up that there is more than what we can see. Uh -huh. There's more than just material or physical things. And if you can accept that, if you can accept that there is other dimensions, which according to the math in quantum physics, there are other dimensions. We live in three, but there's a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. And if you can believe that, and you believe Einstein, believe Tesla, believe these guys who, who went by this, uh, then you can at least step into the realm of understanding that there is more going on than what you can see with your eyes. We only see within a frequency, within a light's frequency. Uh -huh. There's so many more frequencies going on that we don't see. And uh, that's, that's, I guess, what I'm saying is you've got to understand that... Uh, that these other dimensions exist that we don't see with our eyes. Is it that we, we is it that we need to understand or we need to believe? Both. Both. You have to you have to believe. Mm -hmm. And if you get into the well, I got into my book Quantum Bigfoot, I, I put spirituality back with quantum physics and science because that's where Einstein, Tesla, and these guys mm -hmm. were. They're on the same plane. They're synonymous as far as I'm concerned. As far as they were concerned, they're synonymous because, like, even you get into the biblical accounts, uh, some of the miracles that happened, things that happened, that uh, gets into the quantum realm of reality. And that is reality, the quantum realm. It's how the universe works according to uh, the physicists. And this is pretty much uh, okay. worldwide. All right, so let's, let's, let's take the, the possibility that they're right and the rest of the world is wrong. <laughs> well, it's not quite like that. I don't think the rest of the world is wrong. You're right. You have to keep... Even Edgar uh, Mitchell, Mitchell mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, the astronaut, yeah. he said it takes quantum and classical sciences together to have clear perception. And I believe that. You can't disregard what you're seeing. You can't just say, well... This microphone doesn't exist, but you, you because you can touch it. Yeah, you, you bought it, it with money that you earned. We're not talking about something that only exists in a holographic environment. Because if it exists only in a holographic environment, why did you have to use your hard-earned money in order to buy something that really isn't there? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. But, uh, you know, i, I got to say, uh, quantum science is real, and it's accepted by millions of physicists all over the world. And uh, people who don't accept it uh, mm -hmm. just don't want to believe that anything else exists outside of what they can see, hear, think, or smell. But what's wrong with evidence? What's wrong with evidence? What, wrong qua with what quantum physics? Science. What yeah. quantum physics does is that it says, well, you don't need evidence. All you need is mathematics. Oh, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, Mathematics is how quantum physics was, because classical science did not answer all the questions that are out there. I mean, how far is it to the end of the universe? Where are you going to get the evidence for that? Uh, can anybody answer that? I don't think so. Uh, there's a lot of things that you, you can't answer. But, 
but classical means. You 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 look up in the sky, you see the heavens, you know that the universe is there, you know that it is it goes on and on and on and on because you can see it with your eyes. But when it comes to a lot of the stuff that quantum physicists are trying to you know, pass off as well. You can't see it because it's in a different uh, dimension or a different reality. I have a hard time buying that. Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine a lot of people do, uh, but it's it's truth and it's there. And I think anybody that delves into it uh-huh. deeper and, and sees the, the stuff that's behind it, the information that's behind it all, will uh, will buy into it. All right, stand by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. And Nation Ron Moorhead is our guest www.ronmoorhead.com and we'll both be back as we continue here in the Exome from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Nation Ron Moorhead is our very special guest this hour. His website is ronmoorhead.com. That's www.ronmoorhead.com. Ron, uh, with reference to the audio tracks that you were able to acquire from your camp going back to 1971, if quantum physics are saying that this reality that we are in is not real but it's holographic, how do you explain the audio tracks that you recorded that you're calling voices in the wilderness? Well, they were physical beings. When they're in our dimension, when they're something you can that makes tracks, mm-hmm. leaves sounds, right. uh, they are in our three-dimensional world environment. Okay, okay. So uh, when they when they come here to this dimension, is our dimension real? Well, it's uh, hmm. It's real to us. That's what we can see. It's just that there's more of it. There's more going on than what we can see. Okay. And um, uh, do you believe in miracles? Let me ask you that, Rob. I'm an, ex- that- I, I'm an ex-police detective. I oh, bl- good. I deal in facts. <laughs> I don't deal in okay. supposition. I deal in evidence. Uh-huh. I thought when I do an investigation, I do an in-depth investigation based on facts, witness testimony, uh, you know, the, the crime scene evidence. I just don't say or try to, uh, try to put something into context using quantum physics mm-hmm. because I have to deal with the reality because people, nine times out of ten, suffer. And this mm-hmm. suffering is caused by actions, cause and effect, here in this reality that we're in. So I cannot, I, I, you know, I, I, in order for me to believe something, I need to see it. Uh-huh. Well, do you believe anything happens uh, 
when you die? Does your energy go anywhere, or does it does it just as I just did? Because I'm a co- quantum on. physics says everything at its most minute level is yeah. energy, right? Creating a vibrational frequency, a vibrational okay. wave, mm-hmm. and it cannot die, according to Stephen Hawking. Now we're 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 discussing yeah. physics, uh, uh, who who have studied this stuff all their life, and they they say this stuff, and I tend to want to. I tend to believe him because mm-hmm. I've run into some things I can't answer through classical means. And you being a detective uh, would have been great to have you up there then because that's what Al Berry was trying to do. He's trying to figure out how, how this stuff was going on. Right. Uh, the lights in the sky, we thought we saw in a big, uh, well, I did see, me and another guy seen this big uh, ball of light coming down, controlled, wow. huge. And mm-hmm. we lost it behind the tree line. But, but we've seen other things up there too that just uh, didn't make any sense in the classical world. Right. Uh, and it's something with a, a intelligence beyond what we understand at this mm-hmm. point. So that kind of got me into quantum physics years and years ago. I'm not a physicist, but I, I, I think I got a little bit of a handle on it. I've been right. in Peru and Bolivia, looking at these enigmatic remains of, of, of people that were not human, not totally human, and how they did the megalithic structures down there is. Uh, Uncanny. We can't do that today. Well, that doesn't so mean we couldn't have done it in the past. There's a mm-hmm. lot of there's a lot of of lost uh, history that we're just True. finding out about today. You know, so but it's, it's superior to what we understand today. But that doesn't mean we could not have done it in the past. Well, you say we you're talking about the human, human race? Yeah, I I don't believe in alien intervention. I really oh. don't. I I can't buy that. I don't believe in ancient astronauts. I don't believe that the governments of the world have this massive conspiracy to suppress the information from us. There's no evidence to support any of these claims. I, uh, this, you know, traditional scientific evidence. So you don't believe that uh, aliens have been here or that uh, UFOs exist? I believe a UFO is an unidentified flying object. I all agree with that. Not, not from the cosmos. Though. No. No, I really don't think. I, I, there, once again, there's no evidence to substantiate these claims. And in fact, when we look into, when we look back in time, all this hoopla really started with the advent of the Internet. Because, you know, look what's happened to the publishing industry. Anybody can publish their own book. It doesn't need to be vetted. It's not, it doesn't have to be edited. People are kind of going off the deep end. And anybody with $13 can get themselves a domain name, open up a website, and bang, there you go. In my opinion, the largest septic tank in the world is the Internet because there's more crap in it than there is anything else. <laughs> I, I want to believe. I want proof. I'm not going to take hearsay evidence. I'm not going to take anything except proof. And that's why I continue to do this show, because I want to either find the truth, find the proof, or expose the lies. Mm-hmm. Well, good for you. Uh, that's what you need to do. Yeah. Uh, let's just stay with the facts. Then. Sure. These sounds have been scientifically studied. Mm-hmm. Uh, something uh, with intelligence made them. It wasn't human. Right. And um, so that's what we got now. And... Uh, that's what we go with because we know that exists. But yes, what exactly. answers the other questions that we ran into up there, all of us, uh, the other enigmas? What, the, what, what other enigmas were there? 
Let's talk well, about those. The biggest deal was uh, was the sounds we couldn't identify. Like I told you earlier, that mm-hmm. it was a clicking sound that came right through into our shelter one time. Uh, well, I got a list of them, but uh, anyway, things that. And believe me, we're not all dummies up there. Oh we no! Business, Listen, I'm not. We were, I'm not. Well, we were businessmen, and we were trying to figure this out. I'm not doubting you. I'm not doubting you. <laughs> I'm not doubting your authenticity one bit. I'm not. Well, you want the proof? A proof. You've of got recordings. Stuff. You've. Well, I, I'm just trying to answer the questions yeah. that so many people have had over the years, and I've, I've been interviewing people now for forty some odd years, and mm-hmm. and they they've got these strange stories that just Wow, where do you where do you get the answer to it in classical science? You don't. You have to you have to step into I think the other science of quantum physics, and that's what I did in my book, my newest book. What happens? And this is a hypothetical question. What happens if, you, let's say, five years from now, or ten years from now, fifteen years ago from now, a new math is developed, proving Einstein and modern day physicists wrong? Well, I think they've been trying to do that for a long time. But what uh, happens it, the day that happens? Well, you, you say it's going to happen. It, it's like saying two and two is not going to equal four someday. I'm saying, I said hypothetically, what happens? Oh, okay. What happens if that happens? <laughs> well, if it happens, uh, I guess we got to revamp everything. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen because um, the math on this stuff has been uh, checked out for years now. And it's been recreated and, and uh, substantiated through with the note with the mathematic equations and formulas that we know based on the math that was created by mankind so what happens if there is a new math that is created with the assistance of computers that proves oh. that the math that was created by mankind was wrong wouldn't that be interesting it's yeah. a possibility artificial uh, intelligence is you know, is going leaps and uh, leaps and leaps ahead. Look what you know. Look what it's done to our technological ages. Look what it's doing to our environment. Look what it's doing to society. My goodness, look what it's done to Google and Amazon. Interesting world we're living in. Yeah, that that's putting it mildly. That is truly putting <laughs> it mildly. But things are expanding very rapidly. Is it possible that? Technology is expanding too fast for human comprehension. Let's hope not. Uh, let's hope not. I think that's what the Mayan calendar was all about from 2012, was that uh, a new age is opening up for information. We're, we're just being uh, inundated with new information nowadays, it seems like. And that's a good thing, because I think a lot, some of us are handling it, some of us are not. Yeah, that, that Mayan uh, calendar thing was a bit of a, a fiasco. Like, we did an entire TV series down in Mexico in the Mayans, uh, Mayan areas. And we went to different areas and spoke to Mayan elders. And, and they thought it was the most, the most ridiculous thing that they had ever heard, that their calendar predicted the end of the world or the end of a change uh, in time. In fact, one of the Mayan elders said to me, he said, in Canada... At the end of the year, do you take down your calendar for that year, or do you leave it up for the next year? I said, well, no, we take it down. He said, well, that's what we did. We took down the old calendar, and the new calendar started. Mm-hmm. So where did all this other 
stuff well, about the end know. of the world. I, I never you know, did was, believe the, yeah. the end of the world was coming because of the Mayan calendar. But so I many just, people did. Know. But so many people did, Ron. Oh, I know. I yeah. didn't. Uh, I didn't store up my grain or anything like that. <laughs> Hey, Ron, you and I have to take our final break. Please stand by. Exonation. Nation, Ron Moorhead is our special guest, www.ronmoorhead.com. And he has uh, his story on a CD and also in a book entitled Voices in the Wilderness. And Ron and I will be back as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget you can get this edition of the X Chronicles newspaper. We've been publishing it since 1990 every month. And you can pick it up with our compliments and the compliments of our advertisers. And, of course, Simul Radio and Simul TV at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. Don't go away. Ron Moorhead is our very special guest this hour, Exonation, www.ronmoorhead.com. Uh, first of all, Ron, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And I have to ask you a question that I just thought of during the last break. When you and your your friends who back in 1971 recorded these sounds and, and, and you actually went out and you saw these large footprints... Did you guys go investigating in the in the approximate area where this was? And if so, did you find anything? Oh yes, we've we've investigated all over the mountains uh, up in there, and that's what Alberi did in '72 when mm-hmm. he went in. He started looking for who could be pulling this off, yeah, and not leaving any signs other than their footprints and allowing us to record their vocalizations. Um, but yeah, we've we've found tracks outside of our our camp area on different occasions and mm-hmm. uh, and uh yeah they're they were around that mountainside and they still oh. are i think uh, of course if it didn't burn them out the whole area burned up here in the california fires just recently now did you uh did you happen to find anything that resembled a uh, a community of of these uh where these where these bigfoot might have gathered uh, for example nesting places um uh huts or whatever or however they they protect themselves against the elements no no no, never did we looked to and i mean i know that mountain the whole mountain area very Mm -hmm. well and so the johnsons we were always looking for where they could be there's some pretty inaccessible areas there which doesn't mean they couldn't be in a cave around there someplace but uh we never could find it but then you can't get to some of those places it's just really imposing to get to since night I'm sorry, sir. No, you just can't get to them. Oh, wow. I wanted to do that. In fact, I uh, went there with a drone this last year, uh, mm-hmm. hoping to maybe get around there and spy on some right. of those mountainsides. Uh, a little, but we, uh, something happened with the drone. We couldn't, well, it was so smoky, you couldn't see anyway. Really? The fires were moving in. 
um, I, w- I was going to ask you, uh, have you or your, your, your friends ever thought of putting up trail cams and uh, seeing what happens or, you know? Yeah, uh, well, trail cams haven't gotten anywhere with anybody to speak of. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a trail cam up there right now. There's and a- there was anyway. I don't know if it burned up or not, but uh, at our camp, one right. of the guys did that. And uh, Yeah, but the trail cam, I think they can either uh, sense the energy of the battery or something because they seem to be able to evade those pretty easily. And uh, I, I, I'm involved up here in Washington uh, with uh, a group that puts truck cams out all over the mountains and mm-hmm. they've never captured anything yet. There's been a lot of Bigfoot seen in the areas. but uh, Have members of the uh, Forestry Service or law enforcement seen the Bigfoot? Yes. Yes. In fact, I know a gentleman about 20 miles away from me who's retired now from the, as a deputy, mm-hmm. and he saw one run right in front of his car. And they're, they're reported quite regularly here in the Olympics, in the right. Olympic area. And uh, all over Washington, actually, get into Oregon. My daughter's down there. I used to live in Oregon, too. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of reports of them. They're, they're pretty rapid. These people are seeing them more, more often than you would suspect, really. But they're, they're multiplying, I believe, and we're more intrusive into the forest areas. Right. So I think they're being seen more often because of that. With all the electronics that we have today, and especially everyone has a cell phone that has a high-definition camera in it, how come we haven't, no one has taken that all-important smoking gun photo yet? (laughs) Well, that's what everybody says. How come you can't get a picture? Um, These things are just uh, one step ahead of you, and i I got to say they're just so intuitive that uh, Hmm. it's it's hard for us to... uh, understand how something like that can be ahead of us because we're supposed to be the top of the food chain here right well Uh, supposed to be (laughs) supposed to be not so sure we are Um, these things uh, whatever they do and however they do it uh, we don't really fully Mm -hmm. understand but uh, they are they have been very evasive and they're very stealthy yeah, uh, you'd think that, and someone may will do that someday. And it seems like all the pictures that come in front of me are fuzzy, yeah, you know, blurry, something like that. The Patterson-Gimlin film, mm-hmm. a 1967, there at Bluff Creek, is, is probably some of the best evidence that uh, we've got besides these sounds. Now, now, uh, um, Roger Patterson did not have a crystal clear reputation. He was known as a bit of a storyteller. Uh huh. You know, and Bob Hieronymus came out and said that he was the man in the suit. He passed a polygraph test. You know, you had this other person who said that I made that suit. I Uh was there with Patterson and Gimlin. It was staged. So who do you believe? Well, a lot of people want to believe that. But that film has been studied only second to the Kennedy assassination. And and Mm -hmm. the Russians and we, we've had forensic people look at that. And no, it's, it's not a man in a fur suit. Now... I wouldn't put it past Roger having planned something like that, mm-hmm. but that was not what happened that day in 1967. I know Bob Gimlin very well. He was there, and he I know he didn't have any part of something like that. Uh, Rogers died, you know, a long time ago. But uh, what happened there, uh, we've had, like I say, the technology wasn't there for a suit like that uh, in 1967 according to Disney, the professionals down there and all over. And the Russians have studied that mm-hmm. thoroughly. The investigators that I know, the, the scientists that I deal with and work with quite regularly, all believe that that's, that film is real. 
And it's not because they want to believe it. It's because the facts point to it couldn't have been done by a man in a suit. The the long arms, the way that everything moved. Right. Uh, the, uh, no, it wasn't. It was real. Our, so Bob, he, uh, Hieronymus, is that his name? Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they just uh, figured he was, and he was, he probably was going to do something like that. But that's not what happened that day. Hmm. Are, are there Bigfoot sightings around the world, or are they just something around that the world? Are, really, uh, Rob, they're, they're yeah, they're in Australia, they're in Russia, they're uh, yeah, the Yowie in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me, the Yowie's in Australia, the Yeren in China. Uh, there's been 120 sightings there in the last a few years, and it's just uh, yeah, they're all over the world, and uh, it's amazing how. Uh, what's going on and I think we're going to get some pretty good DNA uh, shortly this this next year it's going to be uh, pretty substantial and establish these these creatures as being uh, another hominid that we just haven't logged in but once but once again let let me ask you if these creatures are all over the world and you have all these countries that have researchers whether professional or amateur out in the woods trying to find these creatures how come they haven't been found yet? I, I really can't understand that this creature is so highly advanced that it knows not to get caught, especially when Roger Patterson was able to get the alleged, you know, smoking gun to their existence in Bluff Creek. Something doesn't make sense here. Well, it's, uh, there's, not, there's not that many of them. They're not like ants crawling around the mountains. These things are very elusive. They're very stealthy. They, they, it's like somebody walking into your living room when you're there and you're not knowing it. You're going to know it. Uh, these things are in tune to their environment uh, to the nth degree. They, they are very uh, in tune to the, I think, the human exploitation of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's, but they are hominids. They are some type. Of, I think they're hybrids. Or they're, they're like, they, I think they got human DNA in their mitochondrial DNA. Uh, which we'll find out, I think, this next year for sure. There's been a couple of geneticists come up with that, but immediately it gets thrown out because, well, it's got human in it, so it must be contaminated. But if you get into the nuclear DNA, which is the, the male counterpart, which would say what the father was, they can't determine that. Right. So that puts them into a, a whole other game there, another category. But, uh, what, anyway, happens, but uh, what happens with all this new technology and scientific investigation? If it comes it's back, happening. if it comes back and says, "Sorry, guys, nothing here." Well, that doesn't mean the accident didn't happen just because you didn't see it. <laughs> but if you're looking for evidence and there is no evidence, what does that mean? Well, there will be evidence. You just have to keep looking for it. So you, there so you, go. so you keep doing the jigsaw puzzle until you find the piece that fits. I guess that's one way to put it, but you just got to keep looking. I've been all over the world. I've been mm-hmm. into Russia. I spoke yeah. at the Darwin Museum of National Science in Moscow. I've right. been into Siberia. I've been into, like I say, Nepal. I've been into okay. uh, South. I've been all over trying to research these enigmas or <laughs> these these beings to see what they could have, what they could be. Uh, the elongated skulls down in Peru and Bolivia; those mm-hmm. uh, those are not natural. I mean, they're, they're not cradle-boarded. Uh, the ones we found down there, I was on two different expeditions with two different scientists in two different years. And uh, they're elongated. they got about 30% more brain matter. And uh, they don't have a sagittal suture in their head. they got a single parietal. Mm-hmm. We have two parietals on each side. Uh, they're 
that they think they're responsible for those megalithic structures which are there. They had super intelligence. I believe they moved those boulders, which weighed over 100 ton a lot of uh -huh. them, put together like a jigsaw puzzle uh, with vibrational frequency. And everything, you get down to minute level of even mm -hmm. us, is, is like I said before, vibration. Ron, time has come. You and I have to say so long. And Exxon Nation, our guest this hour has been Ron Moorhead. His website is ronmoorhead.com. Ron Moorhead. Hmm. Talking about elongated skulls there. I don't know, Gexo Nation. Um, you know me. I want to see the proof. I don't want to hear the bibble babble or the drizzle drabble. I want proof. And so far, after 30 years of doing the 29 years of doing the show, 30 years in a little while, sorry, no proof, no evidence yet. And I certainly don't think that so called quantum physics is going to give anything else but more. BS evidence to those who really want to believe because they need something to cling on to. Hmm. Klingons, Moorhead, elongated skulls. Anyway, we'll be back on the other side of this break. To put it mildly, I'm not a believer. I want to believe, but until I see the evidence, I won't. Hello, Discover here to explain our cash back match. Here's how it works. We give you cash back for using your Discover card on the things you were going to buy anyway. Then we match that cash back in your first year. And that's why we call it cash back match. Now to recap and say cash back one more time. We match all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun, and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. 